And I've enjoyed being here this morning. And enjoyed what the Lord has done in my own heart. And, uh, you know, if for just a little while, and I'm going to preach Acts chapter number 8, you'll find your place there. But if just for a little while, you can close your eyes, close your mind, whatever you, whatever you need to do, to think that there's a God in the universe that is interested in sinners. And then to go a step further and think that he's interested in this old sinner. I mean, we're unlovely. There's nothing good in us. Some of you say, well, he got a deal when he got me. No, he got a rotten, hell-deserving sinner when he got you. You say, well, that's pretty strong. No, that's Bible. He said, the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. And he, the Bible says there's none that are seeking after him. I mean, you know, we say this sometimes. We say, I found the Lord. I know what you're saying, but the truth is we weren't looking for him. He was looking for us. And this week, I think about children. Of course, we've talked a lot about children. But I want you to think with me about this thought this morning on the subject, this thought, on the value of one. Now, we've been preaching through the book of Acts. I didn't necessarily know how long we'll be in it, but I'm enjoying it. I, I entitled this little thought on the church is still the answer. And what the world needs today is spirit-filled believers taking the story and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. And we know that. The opposition they faced, we were dealing with it. The persecution they faced, different places in the world are dealing with it. And, and now we have maybe just a little taste of it from social pressure. And society, we're starting to understand all all that, and, but you find that they did it, but the answer was spirit-filled believers taking the message of the cross. Now, go with me, if you don't mind, to Acts chapter number 8, and, and I'll take just as a text verse in verse number 37, and then we'll walk quickly through this chapter. In Acts chapter, number 37, Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 37, the Bible says, and Philip said, notice this, if thou believest with all thine heart, Thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, underline that expression of Scripture. If you underline things in your Bible, if thou believest with all thine heart. And as I said to you for a little while, I'm going to preach on the subject on the value of one. Now, if you go back with us in the book of Acts, some amazing things have happened. You go to the book of uh, you go to the day of Pentecost, and and they preached, and and two thousand were saved and and baptized, and, and the story continues on. I, I said two thousand, but it's three thousand. But three thousand were saved and baptized, and then the Bible says, and the Lord added to the church daily. And you read Acts chapter number six, the number of the disciples were multiplied, and, and so we can imagine this massive expansion. So much so that it created a problem, and and the, I have the idea of the deacons first introduced. Acts chapter number 6 and, and so we deal with all that massiveness and I don't know exactly they estimate what the church of Jerusalem may have looked like but we know there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people there at what we might call First Baptist Church in Jerusalem and you imagine the massiveness of it and they're going daily in the temple and from house to house and they're seeing miracles take place and now all of a sudden in Acts chapter number 8 don't miss this the scene changes and now we're introduced to some individuals Look, first of all, you notice this sincerely wrong persecutor. Now, we know him in Sunday school classes. We know him as Saul. 
Saul of Tarsus. As a matter of fact, look, in, if you don't mind, just go back in chapter number seven to verse 58. In the stoning of Stephen, it says this. It says in verse 57, they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's a beautiful description of the death of a child of God. It says in verse 1, and Saul, circled it, circled it, Saul. And Saul was consenting unto his death. At that time, there was a great persecution amongst the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made his great lament over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing him and women hailing men and women and committing them to prison. Now I want you to understand, so now we have Saul, the Bible says this, breathing threatenings, wreaking havoc. That little word wreaking havoc would be like we can imagine a lion or a wild beast would do to its prey. It's just wreaking havoc. If you, you watch uh, uh, that, uh, the, the, I started to say the History Channel, but the National Geographic thing, and you watch them lions come out, and if they're uh, among them other things, uh, um, zebras or whatever they are, I don't know what they are. But when the lion comes out, they all what? They all scatter. And, and the mangling and the havocing, and you see here that Saul was consenting unto the death of Stephen, meaning he had the authority to say yes or no, and Saul was the one that said yes, and Stephen was stoned. But I love the way God works. God gives us a little background, and so they say before they stoned Stephen, they took off their outer garments and they laid their coats at a young man's feet named Saul. And then he was consenting unto the death. And so God begins to work. Now, I don't know everything that happened in Saul's mind, but I, I, I do know later in the next chapter, we're gonna meet a miraculous conversion. And I do know at least three times in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul gave his testimony. And it was not a great testimony before he knew Christ. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter number 26 and in verse number 11, I, I'll read just one verse to you. He said this, and I punished them all in every synagogue and I compelled them to blaspheme. You say, what they have to blaspheme? Please don't miss this. All they had to do was say the Lord Jesus Christ was not the only Savior of the world, that he was not the way to God the Father. That's all they had to do, and they could live. They could go free. They didn't have to go to jail. They didn't have to face any persecution. All they had to do is blaspheme. Now, boy, does that not sound familiar. You want to fit in the world? All you got to do is be, be sincere. You can be sincerely wrong. But all you got to do is be sincere. And all you got to do to fit in is say he's a good teacher at Jesus of Nazareth. Man, he did some miraculous things. We can't, I mean, I just know, I mean, I was at Lazarus' house. He did some miraculous things. But hey, the Jews' religion's as good as ours. That's all they had to do. And Saul and them would say, you're, you're, you're okay. 
you're still living. But now if you'll remind yourself to apostles and those early New Testament dis, uh, disciples and, and now we're gonna find out about another one, a deacon that became an evangelist, but what did they do? They said, no, we can't help but speak the things that God has done for us and there's no there's salvation none other than of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we must do is we must not blaspheme, not take the credit and the glory away from the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I wouldn't blaspheme. Well, don't use his name in vain. I'm sorry, but I'm sick and tired of hearing the flippancy people use the name of God. The Bible says you shouldn't take his name in vain. That means with the emptiness, without thought, without reverence. And when something happens and I say, oh my, I'm sorry, that's not reverent. Or I say, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's blasphemous. You can look at that book and you study it. And the bad part is I hear it in children. You say, where do they hear it? I'm afraid they hear it from us, adults. The bad part about children is they imitate. They emulate. <laughs> so here you have this sincerely wrong persecutor but now here's what I love about this, and I don't want to get bogged down here on point number one. But we're introduced to a man named Saul. Now you say, what did Saul see? Please don't miss this. Saul saw a true believer die. And he died a true believer's death. What did, what did Stephen say? Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ stands to greet him. You say, man, that's exciting. And what did Stephen say? Stephen died just like the Lord Jesus Christ died. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Then you read in Acts chapter number eight, I believe it's verse number two, uh, the, the devout men, verse number three, they came and got the body of Stephen and treated it right and they lamented over his death. Not only did they see a true believer die, but they saw true believers love and care for one another. And you know what happened. Some of, you, some of you said, I've been in Sunday school a long time. I already know what happens in Acts chapter 8. You're already on the road to Damascus. You're already in Acts chapter. You've already got Saul on, before King Agrippa. You've already got Paul on the Isle of Patmos. You, I mean, you, you, not on the, you, you've got all these things. You've got him shipwrecked. You've got him on missionary journeys. You've got all these things happening. But let me say this to you. What the world needs to see is true believers deal with death. And true believers deal with persecution. I ask you this question. What comes out when we're persecuted? What happens? The thing that I love about the apostle Paul and his life is Satan was seeking to destroy. Satan was trying to use him. But here's the amazing thing. God was beginning to stir his heart. You say, do you know everything he thought? No, I don't know everything he thought, but I do know this, he was watching. I do know the wisdom of God and the sovereignty of God and the, the way God gave us his word. He happened to put at the end of chapter number seven and the beginning of chapter number eight, before we get to Acts chapter number nine and the road to Damascus and the bright light, before we got there, God pulls back the curtain just a little bit and said, hey, I was working on somebody back here. 
And I'm going to say this to you. God's working on some people. But let me say this to you. The people that God is working on, they're watching us. And here you find the sincerely wrong persecutor. Let me give you a second thing quickly. You find the spirit-led preacher. Oh, this is Philip. Verse number four says they were scattered abroad and went everywhere, what? Preaching the word. Now, sometimes we get real critical of this church of Jerusalem because we say, well, it took persecution to scatter them. And there's some truth in that, but somebody had to take care of the home base and somebody had to take care of those believers there in Jerusalem. But in verse number five, it says this, and then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. And with one accord, the people gave heed unto those things which Philip preached. And you find here he's continuing on with miracles and, and what he's happening and the lame are healed. But look in verse number eight. And there was great joy in the city. So please don't miss this. There was persecution. And hear the word persecution. And, and the Bible says this, they're scattered. It's kind of like us scattering seed. The same fault is given. And so the persecution of the church led to the scattering of the gospel. Now here's the application. You say, well, I don't know what we'll face in America. I understand that. And the, hey, let me say this. The social, the things we face right now is not necessarily imprisonment. The things we face right now is not bodily harm. The things we face now is the idea of looking good to society. That's the pressure. You can't speak the truth anymore because you might hurt somebody's feelings. Now I'm gonna say this to you. I'll answer to God for what I say. And at judgment day, I don't want somebody's blood on my hands because I appeased them into feeling good about their way. God gives us the boldness to speak the truth and so here's Philip that was a deacon in Acts chapter number six. Now he's becoming a fiery evangelist. In chapter number eight, he's preaching to evangelize and preaching the gospel. And he's preaching in verse number five, literally means to announce like a herald would announce. And I ask you this question, what happens when pressure and persecution comes to you? Now look at me. You say, Brother Mark, I'm not the Apostle Peter and, uh, and I'm not the evangelist Philip and I'm not Saul. I, I, I'm not those. But when the society tries to get you to blaspheme, you say, what do you mean blaspheme? Be flippant about who Christ is. Act like he's not the only way of salvation. When, when, when the world tries to get you to blaspheme and then they mock you and ridicule you, do they silence your mouth or do they scatter the word. See, when pressure comes, you can either hush or you can just keep preaching. Now, what happened here is the, uh, Philip went preaching, went down to Samaria. Samaritan, we know the Jews hated the Samaritans because they were a mixed Gentile and, and Jews. They, the Jews didn't consider them pure. And so now the gospel is expanding because persecution drove them. Now, I know this. Not everybody is interested in the message. What they do with the message is between them and God. My responsibility is to keep going with the message. You say, this crowd won't hear this friend won't hear. This family woman won't hear. That does not mean we stop preaching. That just means we go to a different crowd and then God has been working on another crowd to receive us. And so here you find them in the villages of Samaria and amazing things happen. They preach and the apostle or Philip preaches, the evangelist Philip preaches and they all believe. It's amazing. And verse number eight says, look, and then there's great joy. Now, man, I don't like persecution. I don't like to be made fun of. I like for everybody to like me. 
But I'm more important in the Lord being pleased with me than I am everybody liking me. You find the persecutor. You find the preacher. But notice the third thing. You find the sorcerer who pretends. Now, please don't miss this. This is an interesting story, and I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but it's verses 9 through 25. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all of them to you. But if you're circling your Bible, circle in verse 1 the name Saul, and circle in verse number 6 the word Philip, he's preaching. Then now we're introduced to verse number 9, this man Simon. It says in verse number 9, he says, There was a certain man, Simon, which before time of the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. And this man is, is the great. This man is the great power. They said, and to him they had had regard because of a long time he'd bewitched them with sorceries. And when they believed Philip preaching those things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Say, man, that's great. So even though they looked at Simon, this sorcerer, said they were still believing and say, what happened? It says in verse number 13, then Simon himself believed and also and was baptized. And he continued with Philip and wondered, behold, notice this, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. You find here in verse number nine through 13, what appears to be a wonderful transforming testimony. The sorcerer, the one that had bewitched, the one that was using his powers, and let me say this to you, if he wasn't getting it from God, there's only one other place he was getting it. And somebody say, well, they're a powerful person. The Bible reminds us that we're doing battle, a spiritual battle, and we're battling principalities and the powers of the air and the powers of darkness. And you find here a man that was under spiritual control, but not the spirit of God, but the spirit of Satan. And he was using it to bewitch people and trick people and to hold them in power. By the way, turn on the news. I'll go on. Verse number 14 through 17, take the time to read it. Now the Samaritans that were believed, believed they, they, they laid on hands and they received the Spirit of God. Don't let that confuse you, but Acts chapter number one through chapter number 10 is a time of transition. And so this was the first time the non-Jews received the gift of the Spirit of God and they got it by laying on hands. But in every other passage of Scripture from Acts chapter number 10 on, you find this, the gospel was preached, they believed, they were sealed with the Spirit of God and then they were baptized in the water. That's the order from the rest of the New Testament. Don't let this transitional time scare you. And so here's Philip and he's preaching it and now they have the gift of the Spirit of God. And so you find something interesting. Please don't miss this. Every time God works, Satan will send counterfeiters. Always. He will send counterfeiters. You understand the parable, the, the wheat and the tares. And they said, what do we do? He says, they'll just have to grow up together. It'll be sorted out at judgment day. Now, I'm not some prophet of gloom and doom. You say what you want to. I, I'm not trying to be mean and I don't know who it is. But if I understand the scripture right and I understand history right, look, there's counterfeiters among us. There are those that appear to have made a profession of faith in Christ, but they're not interested in a relationship with the Lord. Please don't miss it. They're interested in what they can get out of it. Oh, Simon the sorcerer, he becomes revealed. You think my preaching's hard. You ought to read the book of Acts again. You said, what happened? Look, 
Look at verse number 18 and verse number 19. Here's what he said. He said, now look, Simon said this. When he saw the, verse 18, when he saw them laying on the hands and the Holy Spirit was given to those Samaritans for the first time, he offered them money. And saying, give me also this power. Notice this. Give me this power that whosoever I lay my hands on, he may receive the, receive the Holy Spirit. So here's what Simon Peter said, or Simon, uh, Simon the sorcerer said this. He said, look, he watched Philip and he said he watched them lay their hands on them and they received the gift of the Spirit of God. You say that happened? I believe it happened just like Acts chapter number eight tells us it's happened. You say it happened today? No, I don't believe so because I've read the rest of the book. And so here you find it and he comes up to this and said, man, you know, if I thought it, look, I, I don't know everything he's thinking, but man, if he had power before, now imagine if he could have this power. And he says, I tell you what, boys, Let's strike up a deal. I'll pay you whatever you want for that kind of power and control. But notice what the old Philip the evangelist, I'm sorry, Peter said unto him, uh, said unto him. He said, now it's straightforward. Look at verse number 20. He said, but Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. He said, your money's going to burn with you. He says, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. You say, well, he made a profession of faith. Peter said, I don't care. Your money's going to burn with you. May your money and you perish. He says, your heart's not right with God. God cannot be purchased. God cannot be manipulated. He said, you got no part with God. Look in verse 22. He said, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven. He said, you need to repent and get right with God. He says, for I perceive that thou art the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Now that's pretty straightforward. It's easy to preach hard up here. It's another thing to look a man in the face said, you need to get right with God and you're in iniquity. You need to repent. Let me say this to you and please don't miss it. True gospel preaching always makes the money crowd mad. You say, what do you mean by that? Ananias Sapphira, they lost their life over it. You read on. Apostle Peter or Apostle Paul got to got to preaching and put the fortune teller out of business. Acts chapter number sixteen. Where did it land him in jail? You read on in Acts chapter number nineteen. Paul preached again, and the silversmiths were making the idols. What they do? It caused a riot in the city. So the world today says this: Let's reach the rich people. God says no. Take the gospel to the despised. Don't let the rich control the message. The truth of the gospel is not for sale. It doesn't matter how good we dress it up, how good we polish it up. Doesn't matter how nice the cars we have. That does not give us power with God. And Apostle Peter looked at him and said, you got no part in this. And the sad part is this. Some people love their money more than they love God. All he wanted was power and control and to manipulate people. And he didn't care if he had to go through the baptismal waters to get it. 
but he wasn't interested in the Lord Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. Please don't miss this wrong. Don't make this wrong. I look, I believe anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord in the, in the act of faith and sincerity knows the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that. But anybody that's coming to manipulate, by the way, the Lord knows that too. If you're coming to please somebody else, you're coming for the wrong reason. If you're coming to make your wife happy, your mama happy, your daddy happy, you, you're coming for the wrong reason. If you come in brokenness and bitterness saying, I want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's looking for you, he's longing for you, that's the value of one that they were singing about, then yes, heaven's band is, is on its feet and there's rejoicing, the Bible says, in his presence over one sinner coming to repentance. But do not play a game with your soul. Say, man, he's close. I mean, he was in the revival of the Samaritan villages. He made a profession of faith, but according to what the apostle Peter said to him, said, you're not a part of it. You do not know Christ and the gospel is not for sale. And by the way, we need a few spirit-led preachers that'll say the same thing. Doesn't matter who you are, the gospel's not for sale. Take your money and go somewhere else. God's work is not for sale. Notice the fourth thing quickly. Then you find a sincere sinner who's praying. I read to you the Saul, circle it. Philip, circle it. Simon, circle it. But then come back down in verse number 27. says this, a man of Ethiopia. So what's happening in verse 25, the gospel's still going out. They're preaching the gospel to the villages. You say, man, it must have been nice being there, Philip and Apostle Peter and those guys preaching the gospel. Say, man, that must have been, that must have been like revival. That must have been like springtime jubilee. <laughs> that must have been wonderful. And God says, leave it. I'm gonna send you to one. And verse 26 says, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, arise and go toward the south unto the way which goeth down to the Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. <laughs> Say, now, Lord, we've been persecuted in Jerusalem. We've gone on out here to Samaritan to the people that the Jews hated, especially the Hellenistic Jews, that crowd, they hated them. They mocked them, wouldn't have anything to do with them. And Lord, your gospel message that you said for the entire world said it's working here. And God says, Go. Now, sometimes when God says to do something, it doesn't make sense. Now, don't look at me like that. If it made sense, it's logic. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Logically, Philip should have started a church in Samaritan. He should have stayed there, and we'd say it this way. He should have had a tent crusade in the villages of Samaritan. That's what would have made sense. We're getting good crowds, good results. And God says, go, go to the one, because I know there's one that's seeking me. Verse 27, he goes to the man of Ethiopia. We call him the Ethiopian eunuch. It says in verse 28, he was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. And they tell us this time that more than likely he was reading this out loud. That's the way they would do it. And he says, and the spirit said unto Philip, go near. Say, so, whoa, 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 wait now, please don't miss this. We read over this stuff all the time and we get so confused. But look, does that just say the spirit of the almighty spoke to one individual man, a child of God and directed his steps, yes or no? Well, somebody ought to say amen. amen. 
Then look, verse 29 is good that God would speak, but that man would obey. So what happened? Philip ran to him. <laughs> Say, well, man, when God starts speaking, don't start slowing down. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read from the prophet Isaiah. And he said unto him, understand what thou readest. And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he come and sit with him. So here you have the picture. This is a familiar story to many of you, I know. So here you can imagine in this chariot, he said, he walks up there and he's reading. We'll find in just a minute, he's reading Isaiah 53. The lamb that was brought before the, their shears is slaughtered. The sacrificial lamb. Isaiah 53 talks about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talks about the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 goes back and, and pictures us. If we remember all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3. And the shed blood for the, for the coat skins and the covering that Adam and Eve needed to hide their sin and their nakedness before God. And, and it goes all the way back to the Old Testament sacrifices of that Passover lamb that would be offered time and time again. And it, it pointed to Calvary and God's holy lamb that was offered one time. And so I just, look, please don't miss this. That just happened to be what he was reading. <laughs> you see what kind of preacher Philip said. Look in verse number 20, 32. He says, in the place he was reading was this. It says, and he was led as a sheep unto the slaughter and the lamb dumb before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. And his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare from this generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh this prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth. It'd be a good place for some of us to start speaking up for Christ. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scriptures to preach unto him Jesus. Now, I can't imagine what kind of sermon that was. But to know you've been led there by the Spirit of God. He says, now go, and he finds him. When you see that Spirit-led preacher, we talked about him earlier. That Spirit-led preacher is one thing to leave the persecuted place of Jerusalem and go into Samaria and preach and be received with one accord and them, them blessing. It's another thing when the Spirit says, leave the revival and go to one. Leave the revival and go to one. I ask you this question. Look, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, then I wonder, are you listening to his spirit? That's not mystical. That's not weird. That's not odd. That's listening as God prompts you and says, what about that one? What about that one? What about that one? What about over there? What about that hurting one? What about that one? Then I ask you this question. Not only are you listening, are you running when he says, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> and he gets there. And then I ask you this question. When you get there, are you preaching Christ to him? You find a sincerely seeking one. And he comes down to the end of it. And after he preached unto him Christ in verse 36, the eunuch said this, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He said, now I know about the baptism of John and I understand all these things. And I'm hearing about people being saved and baptized. Said, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Please don't miss this. He says in verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, then thou mayest. Look, please don't, miss, please don't miss this. Look, baptism is not the answer without belief. Belief in the Bible always comes before baptism. 
Let's always get that order right. You must know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you must then trust Him as your Savior, and then walk into the baptismal waters and, and be baptized. And you say, oh, what happens if I don't have that order right? Then you don't have that order right. My own personal life, I was baptized as a child, made a profession of faith like Simon. I was around it. I was close to it, but I wasn't in it. One of the scariest things about pastoring a church like this church is about those that are around it and those that are near it, but those that are not in it. I don't know who those people are. But as a 14-year-old boy, finally I admitted I was lost. And I told my sister, I said, I'm lost. And she took me into my parents' room and led me to Christ, told me verses that I knew that I was familiar with that I bluntly could have quoted to her. But for the first time in my life, I took God at his word and it was real in my life. And I trusted Christ and Christ alone to be my savior. Wasn't too long later, my Sunday school teacher said, who happens to be my father-in-law now, said, you need to get baptized. You said, what'd you do? I got baptized. Because I was explained that was the next step for believers. And so in my life, you say, well, Brother Mark, you was baptized as a little boy. I was baptized as a little boy. But you say, what happened to you as a little boy? I got wet. But what happens when a believer walks in to the baptismal waters? They give a clear testimony of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them and what the Lord Jesus Christ means to them. So now I ask you a question today. What's the value of one in your life? Now, please don't miss it. Oh, I don't know where you are. There could be somebody in here that could be against God. I don't know. You said, well, we're all dressed pretty nice. Yeah, you are. That doesn't have anything to do with your heart. You'd be like old Saul. You could be sincerely wrong. But look, God uses the event like Stephen Stoning looked, looked to start chiseling away. And some of you right now, God's using some events in your life to get your attention. You start chiseling away that old cold heart. Some of you may be like the spirit-led preacher and say, all I want is God to lead my life. You may be facing a decision right now. You may be facing family trouble right now. You may be facing persecution. I don't know what you're facing, but you can be like the old spirit-led preacher, the, the deacon, the evangelist, and you can just say, God, I just need you to guide me. And I'm afraid some of you may be like Simon, the sorcerer. You may be close to it, but not a part of it. Then I wonder, is there one that's like the Ethiopian eunuch that's seeking after God and you recognize the day that the great need of my life is to be the, a child of God? But let me say this to you. God used his messenger and God uses his message. What we must have faith in, please don't miss it. What we must have faith in is the message of the gospel. Not in the miracles, not in the show, not in the flash. But in the message of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. All heaven rejoices. Look, heaven rejoices on one. God, by his spirit, please. Ooh, Peter's in the crowd. Others are in the crowd. But God, by his spirit, says to Philip, hey, go down there. When he gets there, he sees somebody and says, and the Spirit of God says, now go over there. Talk to that one. Now I want to ask you a question. Are you content to leave a man-directed, driven life? 
Or do you want to live a spirit-filled, spirit-guided life? And when you get there, some amazing conversations are going to happen because God's already working on the other end. I want you to bow with me in prayer.